Do you really think that I will stand aside and let you turn me in without dragging you with me, do you? Your American self-confidence is so bloated you've forgotten the reality of the situation. 90,000 died in Putin. To the whole world, I am a monster. And you have known about me all this time. If I'm caught, when those reporters stick their microphones in my face, it will be your name that I will repeat over and over again. Todd Bolton, Todd Bolton. Todd Bolton, yes, that was his name. For how long, for months, almost a year, he wanted to know everything. That was how he put it, yes. Everything. Hello, listening people. Hello. Avita Zen Bartek, how are you? Doesn't that mean bye? Yeah. Goodbye. Uh, see you, see you, Ryan. <laughs> goodbye. All right, I'll do the episode then. <laughs> um, so first, no, bit no, of- I'm saying goodbye to you. You're you're out. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying bye to me because you're leaving. <laughs> no, no, you're the one. I I just wanted to let everyone know that Bartek has been excused from the lesson. Okay, I was going to apologize for something I said last week, but I guess I'm gone. Well, we'll never know what Bartek's apology was. He's been mistaken on many things over the years, and sometimes an apology is offered and sometimes a refusal. We'll never know. It's a real Sophie's choice, but uh, aloha, Bartek. How are you? <laughs> That's also a goodbye in, in that, too. It's also hello. But how are you, Bartek? Hello, you're back into okay, the lesson. Since, since you're asking more questions, I'm assuming that's a hello. Yes. I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Oh, I, I'm feeling so apt. Oh, great, great. <laughs> no, go on, go on. <laughs> I said I, I'm feeling so apt because I'm here to be a pupil today. I've got, I've got two. He's got two pupils. I pointed at my eyes for listening people. He actually pointed at his cheeks near his eyes. So, well, I mean, I'm, I'm giving you truth. Well, I tapped my cheeks, but they were pointing upwards. Yeah, well, they could. You could also say I'm pointing at the roof by that logic. You know, that's upwards too. But Ryan, you've got context. I've got context, which is for kings, as Star Trek Discovery character Gabriel Lorca would say. But to get real for a second, we all are wanting to know what you are here to do in terms of an apology. Last week, mm. I insinuated that Donkey Kong Jr. was in Donkey Kong 3. Mm-hmm. It was actually 2. So The we- game was actually called Donkey Kong Jr., in fact. <laughs> That's even worse for you, then. Yeah, it's not Donkey Kong 2, it's just Donkey Kong Jr. <laughs> wow. And when did Diddy Kong get in- introduced? Uh, I didn't look that up, but I'm assuming on the Super Nintendo with Country. I can't wait for next week's apology in which that assumption is incorrect. No, that's fine. I I didn't say it definitively. I said I think. You think, therefore you are. I think, therefore I'm safe. But we are not a gaming podcast. We are, in fact, a movie podcast, Spit and Polish. We are spitting young gentlemen, and we both happen to be Polish, which will come up in discussion of the film we are talking about today, Today, because we talk about movies, we look at pictures, and we have a little bit of a powwow about them. And movies are recommended on the podcast from us, the hosts, and even, yes, you, the listening people out there. So if you have a movie that you want us to cover, want us to chat about, want us to see... 
you should make sure to hit us up on social media or our email to let us know. Tell us what film you want, and we'll put it in the list. All of the dis- all, all of this is in the description of our episodes. That can be found easily. But we have a recommendation that was given by one of the hosts here, and I don't think it was me. So could it could it be someone else? Could it be our friend Will, perhaps? He's been a host on the show before. He was in the first episode of the podcast. He's in our group chat that's exclusively for Spit and Polish Presents. Well, yes, Ryan, because we were going to be all in the first episode, therefore he had to be in it. <laughs> he was never meant to be the host, just to clarify. He was the guest of the first episode, so he's in the group chat. And it's remained for eight years that he's he's there. He's stuck there forever. <laughs> Welcome to the ninth year. Welcome to the ninth year. But Bartek, it is actually your turn to have picked a movie. You gave us a movie to uh, go over, to watch in the meantime. So what one did you bring to the table? I have brought for us the 1998 film Apt Pupil. Apt what, sorry? Pupil. I have two of those. Yeah, yeah po- I'm a teacher. I actually teach two children. And Ryan, just to let everyone know, he pointed at his head. Yeah, that's because I teach them in my mind, hmm. in my mind palace. Yes, apt pupil starring Ian McKellen and directed by disgraced filmmaker Brian Singer. Hmm. And I will say up front at the top of this, if you are not aware of Brian Singer's uh, uh, allegations... Uh, and if you are sensitive to the topic when it comes to uh, child molestation and all of that, we will talk. I will. I will at least talk mm. about that in the episode. So because it is relevant to the film we are talking about yeah, today. When I pick this film, pupil, a film about an older man grooming a younger man, a well, young child, in fact, a fourteen-year-old boy. Uh, they're sixteen in the movie, but fourteen in real life. Mm. When I picked the film, I didn't realize that part of his infamy led back to this film. Mm? So, Apt Pupil is a film about a high school boy who realizes that a neighbor of his is a Nazi war criminal in hiding, and he begins a rather interesting relationship, and there's power dynamics that are played throughout the movie, and that's all I'll say about it. If you have not seen Apt Pupil before, Give it a watch for yourself, because we are going to get into much more depth and detail about it. And Bartek, since you recommended the film, I'd love to know your history with it. So my history with this film is uh, interesting because it was one that I have seen once before, but it was in an unexpected context, and I still don't even fully remember all the details of it. So I was in Poland uh, sometime I think you mentioned last week, like, you watched it when you were 15. I think I was probably around the same age. Uh, We might have watched at the same time. Uh, I was visiting uh, my cousin Zusha at her house, and I don't know how it came up, but she said, like, oh, yeah, let's watch a movie in my room or something. I'm like, all right, sure, put it on. Um, I didn't know what the title was. I don't remember if she told me or not, Um, but it was this film, Apt Pupil. I didn't know the title until quite a while later when I was looking up, like, what? film was Ian McKellen, like a Nazi in or something like that. Um, and yeah, I just remember it being this like dark and serious film. Um, I have vague recollections of, yeah, our, our 
Nazi character, like being a regular old man and then a later scene, like suddenly being full on serious Nazi. I have no idea if we watched the entire film or if just part of it, but yeah, I remember walking away being like, that was an unexpected film to have watched with my cousin. Um, and then just over the years, thinking back on that situation, I was like, huh. I should see that film again and like actually get the full context, see if that situation made a bit more sense. And yeah, not really, but I was keen to watch it again. Very interesting stuff. It's always amazing when you go over to a, a family's place or even a friend or family friend or whoever, and you get an unexpected movie out of it and they just whack on something, whether it is something they own or, ah, let's see what's on TV right now, or we'll just Mm. go see what's on the movies currently. And it can always be uh, just an absolute delight. And you get these moments where they can be hazy, but there's something that's stuck there because you watched it in in a different occasion than what you would naturally watch a movie. Because, you know, when you're younger, you're... We are either watching whatever DVDs or videos you have at home or what's on TV or what your parents have put on or what you've been taken to. As we know on this podcast, Bartek often has gone to movies with his mother and those get recommended on the pod of like like with Lucy, Lucy for instance. Was, yeah, so last like, week. Oh, I just kind of got, got swept along and I didn't know what I was uh, getting into. And uh, yeah, I, I loved hearing that backstory because... It made more sense when I watched Dude Wears My Car with the Polish lector with her. Ah, <laughs> uh, of course. But I, I have a, kind of the opposite in terms of I was seeking the movie out specifically because I grew up with the X-Men movie franchise. Mm-hmm. I saw the first X-Men movie in the cinema and it was such a seminal experience. It was one that I found to be just very impactful upon my uh, life. Uh, those opening sequences and even that was early kill- 2000s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, 1999 to 2000. So I'll say 2000 for Australia. And that I loved those first two movies, which were directed by Brian Singer, and I wanted to see the movie he made before this because I I was looking stuff up, IMDb, and getting to know like the cast of actors. And oh, before this, he made a movie with Ian McKellen, who's Magneto, Magneto in the X Men franchise. And hey, there's Senator Kelly's in this, and 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 this person, and this person. Ooh, I I want to give this movie a watch, but it was really difficult to get a copy of it. It was not like you see this in your DVD store just casually sitting there. Uh, At least I couldn't find it. Uh, So when I was around 14 or 15 years old, I would want to say, I I went to uh, my local library and they did not have it, but they could get it in because of the subject matter of the film could be brought into the library because it's a, a like a, argue like a historical and educational purpose to it because it's examining like you know Nazi war criminal and like mm. how there is you know, documented history of obviously World War II but the fallout of it and people being hunted down and the trials and all of this and so that's uh, how I managed to get it I I had my library card that mm. I used and wow. And uh, I, I got it and I watched it and I thought it was a really interesting little movie. It didn't leave as a long-lasting impact on me. I haven't, like you, there's fogginess there. There's just certain things that I couldn't remember. I, I knew that in in the long term that, oh, Ian McKellen gave a great performance. But even then, I just make that as, a, an, as an assumption yeah, because he's yeah, a same. renowned actor. 
but uh, I really was glad that when you recommended this, because it's like, oh, it gives me an excuse to revisit the film with fresh eyes, with adult eyes, and also it's been you know a couple of decades now since it came out, and things have have obviously has have obviously changed since it it was released. We don't get a lot of movies like this in particular with with this caliber of an actor in the lead. Just it's a, it's a, it's a smaller budget film, but it, it helped lead that person to direct like mega blockbuster movies. And I, I just really was glad to to come back and see it. And so I'm now passing it back to you to hear what you thought about it now that you've got the chance to give it a proper watch and you're really cognizant and you're looking at it. Uh, how did it go for you? Yeah, this I, I enjoyed the film as much as you can enjoy it. Um, I didn't remember the context behind like what brought this main character, you know, regular high school kid to, you know, former Nazis house and becoming... In my head, I thought it was like, oh, friends with him or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the the film opens up and it really gives you these little questions about what is up with our main character. Like you get the line from the teacher saying like, oh, a lot of you got good grades, including Mr. Bowden here, which insinuates like, oh, this kid's not normally so good at school, but he got a really good mark on this class about World War II history. Oh. And he's researching about World War II history and he's interested in this German man. He's hyper-focused. He's hyper-focused on it. And then, like, as the film goes on and, like, his demands get a bit more aggressive, like, at first, you know, he, he wasn't playing it so much as, you know, like, aggressively threatening. Like, it was very much downplayed. I did think that for the most part, like, he was going to be nice to him. It's like, okay, he's trying to get something out of him and, like, protection. They both have something in. But then, yeah, once you get to, like, the, you know, put on the uniform scene and then, like, the aggressive marching stuff, it's like, oh, this kid's going down a dark path. And then, yeah, you see some of the places he goes to. And, yeah, it's, it's a really, really dark film. I admired this movie more than I liked it. Mm. It fell short for me is how I would describe it. I love the premise of it. I think this would make not only a great story, which this is an adaptation of a Stephen King story that has not been mentioned. We haven't mentioned that. This is an adaptation yeah. of a I mentioned it last Stephen <laughs> King story, but we haven't mentioned it here. Yeah. Uh, I would love to read that story. I think this would work really well as a play because mm. it felt like a play to me well, since it is basically two characters in a room talking. All of the other characters feel superfluous and, and in my eyes are just additions mm. to make this come across as worthy of being a theatrically released movie. You did say, you very aptly said that it fell short because apparently in the book it does go on. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I, I feel uh, as if there are choices made within this that are also just restrained, playing it a little bit safer than I would care for. And... With the subject matter at hand, there's almost a level of um, devil may care to it that I just was not drawn in by. I, I I don't know how to necessarily articulate this more than the statement I'm going to make is, but this felt like a very Hollywood take on this story. Mm. I kept thinking about uh, the Mads Mikkelsen movie we did, uh, The Hunt. Yeah. 
and how that movie, nothing in relation to this, but that movie is like, that's a very European way to I was explore gonna say, such a dark subject a matter. A story like this with a more European sensibility, you would have, yeah. Especially because early on, one of the, in the I think it's the first scene with our two main characters, the the boy says something along the lines of like I want to hear you know the the real stuff mm-hmm. like the stuff that they won't teach in school and that feels like you know if we did have a story like this in the style of the hunt like we would hear some really serious stuff because we get a lot of like montages mm-hmm. of like him telling the stories and you hear bits of it and it's like oh, I wake up in the middle of the night hearing about yes, it yes and it's provis- and there's an element of uh, there's a deliberate nature to how mundane it is presented his stories because to him these were just things that happened and to the kid even he finds them in the moment somewhat interesting and underestimates how deeply traumatizing they are to him to even hear them uh but there's just something lacking i also thought about the the wave Mm. The film that we did, the Ger- it was a German movie, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, I thought about that. About the youth who were basically starting up a new uh, wave of fascism, and and how that movie also had like a detached main character who thought of themselves as really smart, but they fall into a certain crowd of things, and it just spirals out of control. And it has a statement, obviously, about the history of fascism and Nazism and how it can still impact the youth today. The youth can still fall into it. Because of their lack of empathy and or knowledge on the subject matter, curiosity leads them down the road of repetition. And that's also what I got out of this movie is like, this kid's curious, he's curious, but also he is just using this as an excuse to lash out and unleash these cruel sides of himself that he doesn't know what to do with. He has a dark streak as a person and he just happens upon this ability to wield power over someone else and he is going to do that even though the way he does it is just further damning for him to have done it and little does he realize he's becoming more like the person he is being judgmental of and dictating of. And yeah, I, I like the movie. I just want to say I did like the movie. I just, there was just aspects of it where it, the writing was a little sloppy. And I, 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 yeah, I, I say this a lot with movies that really mess things up for me. And Bartek, you are going to uh, maybe not have noticed. Maybe you have because the music was n- n- non-stop throughout this. I was like, please, could we just have more scenes where there's no music? Like, even the, It's not even said that the music was bad, but it was very insistent throughout. It was just always there. Mm-hmm. And I just was thinking about how good dramatically some of these scenes would be if it was just quiet and relaxed and li- living with these performances. But there was always just strings in the background, and I just couldn't help but be reminded I'm watching a production. Thinking, yeah, this is one of those things, that quote I like of, uh, I didn't notice it, but my brain did, and thinking back on it, like, yeah, a bit more silence would have kind of elevated some of those scenes. But uh, let's uh, dig in a little deeper. I really loved the opening credits of the montages of all of the different photos of, of Nazis and the war criminals. It was a and, bit different from last week's opening credits yes. about Nazis. <laughs> yes, 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 very different. But I thought that was very evocative and it 
not only gave us the pieces that we already could put together of, and at the end, it's revealed that Ian McKellen's character is a Nazi. Aha, here we go. But without, you know, having to hit the nail on the head too much, it was the opening credits was telling you and showing you, more importantly, how the lead character, this young boy, has this fixation on a subject matter beyond healthy. Like, mm. it's always good to be, you know, wanting to know more about the Holocaust and Second World War because it, it was one of the most, def- it was the defining event of the 20th century, I would say. For a lot of the world's cultures, yeah. But the the opening credits shoot it almost like it is a conspiratorial way of looking at it, like these clippings and just mm. the quick cuts and the fades and the swipes and zooms. And it, it's almost like how you would imagine someone who is a conspiracy theorist trying to put all of these bits together. And that's what I really appreciated was the visual storytelling that was happening as well as just letting us in on obviously the re- like what the plot is, which is Ian McKellen is a Nazi. Mm. Yeah, this it played differently. This could have been an inspirational coming of age story about a budding historian, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not where it went. Not at all. So uh, what did you think about the performances? Because in my eyes, that is what stands out. But what about you? What did you think? No, I really enjoyed our two leads in it. Uh, Ian McKellen very much played. He had a big variety of of performances going on. Like at first, he was a dismissive old man trying to play it cool. But then, yeah, you have the scenes where he's getting fed up with our main character. Like you do realize who I am, right? You know, you know what he says that line. You're playing with fire here. After he, you know, goes full Nazi with the marches, and you mm-hmm. see, like, yeah, this stuff sticks with you on some level deep down. Um, there's the scene where, <laughs> where he, scenes with him and other characters also are very interesting. Like you have the dinner scene where he very coolly plays off, the, like, "What were you doing during the war?" Clearly, German man. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, and he has his story planned out. He has he has a story planned out. You could tell that he's probably used similar stories before. Like, oh, like many Germans, I was in the reserve. I wasn't doing any of the you know big stuff there. It was just you know kind of in the background. And my shitty eyesight. See, I have glasses. Yeah, and all these scenes you see of you know our main character manipulating him. Then you get the scene with David Schwimmer where he's you know playing the grandfather character. Uh, manipulating it to get his own way, not only getting our main character out of trouble, but also getting our main character in a bit more of a manipulatable situation for himself, where, ah, suddenly I can't, you know, do all the things you want me to do, and I've got a bit of a leverage over you. And You thought you knew my personal life, well, I know yours too. Yeah. I'm in yours, as you are in mine. Yeah, it's, it's similarly dark to our main character, but also there's this level of cheekiness that you can't help but enjoy. <laughs> Ian McKellen brings that to so many roles. He has this certain... Uh, cheekiness. And I always think about in the X-Men movie franchise as Magneto, he's very serious, very dramatic, but there's a level of camp that he brings to it uh, and dignity within the campiness. And there's a magnificent scene in X-Men 2 where one of the characters is is, is bitching 
to him and he's sitting there with Mystique and they are like whispering stuff to each other and then he giggles and gives this like look towards one of the X-Men of just like yeah I just spoke shit about you and <laughs> people people capture that scene online of just like yeah you're sassy gay uncle at a dinner party <laughs> and that's like how Ian McKellen is like he's a sassy gay old man. I've, I've seen him in uh, Graham Norton with mm-hmm. uh when he's doing Maggie Smith impressions and stuff. Yeah. Oh, with, with Hugh, I think Hugh Jackman was in yep. the clip there and they had this very, you know, clearly intimate back and forth. <laughs> uh, but he, he is a standout. He's a magnificent. He does the accent fairly well, I thought. Mm. Uh, he he may he really did come across as old in this too. It's, it's Apparently he was playing like 20 years older than what he actually was. Yeah, Ian McKellen is one of those people where he's always just come across as world weary. I'm mm. not going to just say I'm not going to say he's always come across as old, but he's always had a world weariness to him. Also, if people have not watched his episode of the Ricky Gervais uh, TV series Extras, please watch it. He's he's fantastic in that show where he plays himself of course. But I yeah, I it's his eyes. He mm. has these, I don't even know how to describe them, but he has these funny shaped eyes. Even like his eyes have a hangdog expression to them. Like he has these, you know, hangdog expression, his jowls, his cheeks. It's like his face is always drooping down, but there's just something about his eyes that are that both light up, but also there's a, there's a vacancy there. Hmm. And that's really highlighted when he's wearing those glasses. It just, you know, magnifies those eyes and, you can't tell how much of him is like feeling in the movie because it's like, does a guy like this actually have genuine emotions or is it all a ploy? Because we have the moment where he sees a cat and and he has the, oh, kitty, kitty, oh, oh, I'm a sweet old guy. I'm connecting. I've got emotions. See, I'm nice. And then. Yeah. And then you're reading the trivia, Ian McKellen genuinely loved the cat. <laughs> yes. As you would, it was a cute cat, but then he tries to kill the cat mm. and the cat runs away and he just laughs it off like, oh, well. I failed to no- kill the cat in the oven. Nothing lost. Wasn't In X-Men, wasn't his character backstory that he was in a concentration camp? Yes, yes. He was a, a victim of the Nazis. Yes, mm. yes. But the thing about Magneto is due to his experiences with fascism, he becomes a fascist himself. Mm. That's that's the irony of it all. It's like, yes, through all of this, he himself is becoming the thing he was a victim of. So, haha, very funny. But uh, what did you think about uh, other lead performance? The, the, the Young Boy, this is a film in which it has to rely on a child to carry it. Because as much as Ian McKellen is beautifully performed in this, he's not in the movie as much as you may expect in comparison to our mm, other leads. Yeah, it's like every other scene, every two scenes maybe. Um, I enjoyed our lead's performance. I really, thinking back on it, really enjoyed seeing that transformation of like the early bits in the film where he's kind of yeah plain or or unassuming. neutral or unassuming throughout a lot of things. Like you see his interactions with his friend. It's like oh yeah, regular teenage interaction. Um, I mentioned where he's first talking to Ian McKellen. Um, he is playing it a bit more good copy, like negotiable. Mm. Um, you have scenes where he's like talking to his mum again, like a teenage boy will. It's like, I thought you woke up half an hour ago. Yeah, I must have fallen asleep again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, you see contrasts with all of these scenes later on, where suddenly he's very snappy at his friend. 
Um, he's a bit more distant with his family. He's much more aggressive with Ian McKellen. Psychotic. Psychotic, yep. And then you're tying in some of that stuff to, you know, what he learned in the in, in history class and from the stories. Like he sees, you know, an injured pigeon, mm-hmm. like a disabled pigeon, you know, Nazis with their camps, their disabled were among those who, mm-hmm. you know, got punished and you know, he's dribbling that basketball and it's thudding really loud. And it's like, oh, is he going to kill it? And then, mm-hmm. yeah, he does. And-, and he doesn't feel a thing about it. doesn't bring him any joy. With Ian McKellen's character, it would have brought him joy to have killed that cat. Because in a way, him doing that act is a hit of nostalgia for him. Because now he's having to bring up these old stories. Mm. It's bringing back old feelings. While well, this kid, he wants to basically start down that path, but when he does a horrible thing, it's not like it gives him a, a release like you hear about many you know, psychotic people who injure or hurt animals. It gives them like something, yeah, this, nothing. He, he asked that question early on for Ian McKellen, like, what did it feel like? And Ian McKellen's like, oh, you wouldn't understand. And then later on, that question gets brought back at him. Yeah, it was it was just work. That you know, Ian McKellen was like, it had to be done. Mm. Uh, but we see little hints of he enjoyed it, he liked it, and uh, a lead, a uh, uh, child. It's like he is wanting to engage with these things to see if it will break this malaise he has because he's a despondent kid. I read it at the beginning a bit differently to you. I thought when the teacher brought up our lead character's name as an example of like how well things are doing, I thought it was a uh, the film being like and and yes, see everyone like the exemplary kid in the class, like using him as like a oh, model right. of what you should be going for because he has everything he needs in life in that realm. He has friends. He has a hot girlfriend. He has the grades. He's like a sports kid as well. Like He is set, but yeah. deep and, down and emotionally, on, yeah. he is completely removed. He's like, got it all, but he's still not happy. And later on, David Schwimmer makes that very clear. Like, you are set to be the number one. And yeah. yet it doesn't fill the vacuum inside of him. And so him figuring out that this next door neighbor is a monster, and instead of doing the noble right thing of turning him in, he does this horrible thing in which he talks to the guy, forms a relationship with him. And it's not just he forms a a relationship with him, which would already be terrible in itself. Like if he did try to be buddy-buddy with him, that would be bad. But he goes that extra step further where he wants to have the thrill of having someone underneath his thumb. But what I really love about this performance, this lead performance, is he's still a child. Mm. And with children, they can be very petty and and they can switch their mood up and he gets the things he wants and he's still, he's like, I don't like it. Or he's angry by it or he doesn't want it anymore. He's very irrational as a character. And I think this, this lead performance managed to make him uh, captivating. He was never whiny. I never looked at him and thought you're dumb or you're being too arrogant in the way that the film is not meant to portray that. I, I really felt like this was a high school kid who's really smart, but not smart enough. And that happens. We we see these young people who maybe have some wisdom beyond their years, but that doesn't mean that they're wise or that they're smart or that they're an adult, really. He's a child who's basically being treated like an adult by everyone, but he's not. He's not. And there's even some really haunting scenes of uh, him trying to be an average kid, and it just 
doesn't happen. His girlfriend tries to, or this girl tries to have sex with him, tries to give him a blowjob, and it's, it's nothing. Has, nothing's going on there. And she mocks him and says, maybe he's gay. She she just says, maybe you, pre- you don't prefer girls. And you can tell, like, he has this homophobia there. He's like, I don't want to be told that. But this, this, this performance, it's like, he doesn't even have the full energy to get that dismissive or that defensive about that comment. It's like, oh, I don't like that, but then I I don't care. There's just, yeah, just yeah. an apathy and to the for, character. For a lot of that scene, he was also playing it up to try to like cheer her up. Or it's like, maybe you don't like me. It's like, no, that's not it. That's not it. Maybe you prefer men. And at that, he was like very blank about. Because children, whether they are young or, 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 you know, in their teen years or just verging on adulthood, like with any person, there's, there's a level of uh, apathy there. And some it's more prevalent than other kids. And this kid is, is really up there. And I thought that for uh, a central performance where you have to have a character who is this, uh, delicate balancing act of someone who's got a hyper fixation, who wants to have a a powerful stance in the community and be dominant and be in charge, but also doesn't care. Mm. Really, really magnificently performed. I, I, I think those things could be very, like, very poorly handled, or one would outweigh the other. But uh, throughout the whole movie, I, I thought this this kid, this kid was juggling those balls up in the air and didn't drop a single one of them. Although I had issues with the character himself, and of course, as a human being, I'm like, I don't agree with you. I, I thought that it was brought to life and realized just so well mm. so well i mean you, you you talked about uh the the basketball scene with the, the the bird but even before that i i was really taken with his friend trying to help him and our main character just is muttering to himself and getting angry and swearing and throwing the ball well, wrong that, that and- entire scene yeah the the friend like the, he calls him like an idiot as a joke it's like what did you call me did you recognize the friend no, I didn't. So that is the actor Josh uh, Josh Jackson, Joshua Jackson, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he's been around the block. He, he's he's done a bunch of stuff. He's he's still acting today. He was one of the lead actors in the TV show Fringe, but he was in a film that we had done where he basically plays a similar role but a little bit more gay mm-hmm. in uh, in our, one of our, one of our favorite films, which. Uh, do you, do you have any guesses? So teen movie where he, I'll give you a clue. He had peroxide blonde hair in it. Was there something like that in Saved? No, no. no. So no, what was it? It was a year after this cruel intentions. Oh, okay. It's been a while. <laughs> he was the guy that like got our main character to know the Reese Witherspoon character and kind of gave him information. And he was like the school's basically crime lord. And he was very over the top, but he was like the right. friend who's trying to be there. But as our main character becomes more morally detestable, this guy's like, what the fuck? And it's very similar, except for more gay and rich than this version <laughs> of it. And I just found it amusing that... Within a year, he basically played a slightly more 
twisted version of this kid <laughs> that he does in this movie. Uh, it's been too long, but I'd, I'd check that film out again. That film's great, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But I got it. I was just thrown like, hey, Sebastian. it's Joshua Jackson. He's, he always, <laughs> when he was in this era of his career, he always played that teen kid who's like weirdly to adult as well. Uh, yeah, I. Um, it's mainly those two performances because how did you feel about how the other members of the story were, were handled? Because I said just casually before that in my eyes this could just be a two-hander play and everyone else kind of felt they were added to bolster it being a movie mm. and everyone did a good job you were saying before the podcast that you enjoyed david schwimmer in it i wish he was in the movie more i really he comes loved, in really late i loved david schwimmer in this i think david schwimmer is a really good actor I'm not a fan of Ross from Friends, but David Schwimmer is a really funny actor. He's really good. And when he does more dramatic stuff, which he's doing here, he's not being, he's not funny in this movie. No, not at all. And I, I think he's just, he slots in perfectly. And his character, even before they reveal the facets of what they're going to do with him, dramatically speaking, the way he plays at his look and what he's, what he's initially offering, even before we get into the deeper stuff, I thought unlocked a new layer of the movie because our kid, although he has his parents and although he has his school friend and although he has a school, those just felt like things that were stated about him rather than things that are actually experienced. But when David Schwimmer comes in, the aspect of the school became real yeah, to me. Credit to the performance and the writing, we have to say. Like the scene where uh, Ian McKellen's playing the fake grandfather character and having the interview with the uh, the kid and David Schwimmer as the guidance counsel- guidance counselor. Um, it gives us the 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 stakes of what's happening at school with our main character, like that he's been slipping up. It establishes that this has been going on for like a year now. Yeah, roughly a year. Which that kind of threw me off, but okay. Um, and that yeah, he's he's been slipping up. His grades are going down. We mentioned before, like he was. Head on his way to be number one in in mm-hmm. his year level or, or school or class or whatever it was, um, and he lays out very specifically like what the situation is, and you know it, you get all the little details of that, and you understand the gravitas of the situation, and based on your knowledge of that, you understand how Ian McKellen is manipulating that situation for his own end of, you know, not having to be under our main character's thumb so much. What I think David Schwimmer's character also brings to the movie is uh, something tangible. Because a complaint I do have about this that, I don't know if complaint's the right word, but I guess a a niggling concern I have about this is the characters are so specific and uh, movie-like and otherworldly that they don't you can't relate to them. Like, obviously, you don't relate to Ian McKellen because he's a fucking Nazi in this movie. And our main kid, he's he's doing things and he's acting in certain ways and, and then we don't get a deep look into his psyche ever. Hmm. I don't think that this is a deep examination of his psyche as a fucked up kid. I think it's mainly about that premise of, like, I'm going to blackmail a Nazi and I've gone, over, I've gone in yeah. over my head rather than what kind of kid would do such a thing? I don't think it goes too deep into that, but what David Schwimmer offers is he's a character can point to and say, oh, that's a real person. Like, 
I know who this is in the real world. Mm. He makes some choice. They 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 write some things for his character that I find a little bit of a stretch, but I know what he is in our world, let alone in a movie's world. While I'm not going to encounter an Ian McKellen anytime soon, or even our lead character, I'm not going to encounter that. And his parents are uh, by design at a distance and and or just naive rich pricks. But David Schwimmer just being the school guidance counselor who's wanting to do the best he can to help a kid out and he doesn't really know that this kid is someone that's dangerous and that this elderly person is too. Yeah, I, I completely just even his mustache, his hair, the the clothes he wore, I just had a sigh of relief and said, Oh, finally, a person I know. Mm. Did did you have that at all with this? Or do you have that at all with movies sometimes where it's like you're you're stuck with a you're in a movie where the characters exist in a certain realm that you have to have accepted because it's a movie. I feel like that is the case. I think usually they would do something like that, uh, yeah, to to ground the situation a bit more to make a point about it. Um, Actually, before last week's episode, I was telling you that I rewatched American Vandal, the yes. Netflix show. Great um, series, everyone. Watch that show. It's a really great show. Only two seasons, unfortunately. Unfortunately, because it ended too soon. Um, and that one is a mockumentary series where you're following basically like the literal documentary that our main character is making. You don't see any of the things between the shots or anything like that. Um, and you do get a scene towards the end of the first season. Uh, usually, like, the the whole, like, last third of the first season is kind of looking at the consequences of our main character having made uh, the documentary and seeing how it has affected people's lives for the worse. And you start getting a lot of interviews or, like, things happening in the background that highlight how, you know, like, you you did this for selfish reasons and it has made other people's lives worse and it really grounds the mm-hmm. the story where suddenly you've gotten something incredibly real that happens and yeah i feel like i see things in a lot of films where it's like intentionally done to sort of ground things and even sometimes for comedy where it's like mm. <laughs> isn't it funny that we finally have a character that acknowledges how ridiculous superpowers is or something like yeah, that yeah yeah i what I think too is depending on the film, and I think apt pupil is definitely this of certain elements of 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 quote unquote realism or grounding or just relatability factor can be secondary or put down in the list of priorities to the premise itself. Like this is a premise movie where it's like, okay, isn't it a fascinating idea that a high school kid, due to him being a bookworm, discovers that his next-door neighbor is a Nazi war criminal, and instead of handing him in, he wants to learn more, and he wants to control this guy? Great. And if you have two great performances at the center of it and good direction, you don't have to worry too much about necessarily having to make the characters uh you know um like too too real say mm. like Ian McKellen in my eyes I never found his character genuinely scary or unsettling or even disgusting like he's ver- like this character like the way it's written and even how it's performed yeah it's a movie nazi but I never felt like it was 
a real Nazi that we were sitting across from and I was disgusted by. I never felt that. The movie wanted me to, but I personally never felt well, I think the, the revulsion of being in this room with the Nazi, but also fascinated to be there too, well, like in I other think, films. I think what they were going for is that this character is on some level trying to get past that, you know, horrific thing from his past. Yes, but also we see him try to burn a cat yeah, alive. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, try. There's, there's an, There seems to be a huge effort being made, but, like, old habits do not die hard. Yeah. And he has that line again where it's like, you are playing with fire here. Like, he mm-hmm. understands why he's doing what he's doing. Yes, yes. The, the film it reminded me of when it comes to this this thing I'm talking about where it's like the premise, but necessarily how the characters act don't like you, how how your characters should act is always important. But I do feel like sometimes if you have a really solid idea and you excel in other areas, you can get away with it. But one, we had a major problem with this is Una in Mm. which that film had a fucking amazing premise, great performances, but the way those people acted in that movie, there were moments where it's like you and I would be like, would a person do this or like what what's what's their psyche about and uh there wasn't there was some roadblocks there and i feel like there's just some minor roadblocks to the psyche of our of our lead but that's again it's deliberate it's by design so when a character like david schwimmer comes in i'm i feel like there's a buoy in the water of like oh i can grab onto this because Mm. he becomes a voice of reason in the movie which has been sorely lacking throughout the film yeah they're they're not really going for like a character study with our main character it's more of like an almost anti-character study where it's like you're seeing where he's ending up rather Mm. than you know following along you don't feel sorry for him you don't feel sorry for our main character when Mm. when the nazis turns the tables around on him I find it funny. Not funny in the ha-ha sense, but funny as like, of course, what did you think yeah. would happen? You're playing with fire, as as the Nazis said, but like, you're playing against a, an adult for a star, but also an adult who is a successfully escaped war criminal. You think that you can just do that and keep getting away? Oh, you're going to make him wear the you, you a costume and parade around in it and think that he's just going to take that because... What you're 16 and you think nothing's going to go wrong for you, and then Ian McKellen like lays it all out. It's like if I even just accuse you of this, that will stain you forever. May not be true. People may say like you could possibly you can deny it and get away with it, but the claim will remain. And when the movie started to do that type of stuff, that's when I was riveted. I'm like, oh yes, give me more of this. This is the meat. This is the material I'm wanting. There's consequences to your actions. And that's when the it really got cooking, was when the consequences start to started to really come into play. Mm. And what did you think of the inclusion of the homeless man? And where that went? Yeah, that one was interesting. Um at first, I wasn't quite sure what the homeless man angle was meant to be because it's like he saw Ian McKellen looking down at him wearing the Nazi uniform while mm. he was like digging through his rubbish and then he wanders off. Then he sees him on the bus and he's like trying to get his attention and it's like, oh, okay, is this guy like a neo Nazi or something like that? But oh, okay. it's like, well, I thought he was going to blackmail him or, That's what I or blackmail or something. It's like, the Nazi part is going to factor into this somewhat. 
because he saw him wearing, or at least like his upper part, mm-hmm. his, his bust torso area. And the hat. And the hat, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, but then it ended up being, like, he, all of his dialogue was like... Goofy. Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to... I would say it was comedic. I don't want to, yeah, it was comedic. I wouldn't say to like a cartoonish degree, like a really held back kind of thing where it's like you've got this serious thriller film and you've got this homeless man who is, you know, talking about... He's like mumbling about his own situation and you're getting like part of the context. He's like, oh, you should invite me in for a drink. And it's like, oh, maybe you can give me $10 or $20. And- yeah, but I couldn't understand how clever the character was supposed to be because there was this brilliant moment where he's trying to help Ian McKellen with his like shopping or whatever. And, yeah. and Ian McKellen's blowing him off and being like, fuck you, piss off, piss I don't off, need you. Yeah. And then he reveals that he knows about the relationship between him and the kid. It's like, oh, I'm like the kid, I know. But he doesn't say it exactly like that, but he says in this way where it's like, I've got an I yeah. not only know about you being a Nazi, but I also know about that the kid knows it too. And that was like a rev- like a brilliant step in the in the tension and what you could do with the movie of Ian McKellen thinks, oh, I've outsmarted the kid Good job, by the way. You outsmarted a fucking child. Congratulations to you. So I've won the game. I'm comfortable. But be- because of hubris, he's made mistakes. He revealed this outfit out into the world with his window open and there's someone who saw it. And this person not only saw it, but he put two and two together. It's not just the fact of, oh, he saw it and he thinks I'm a Nazi. This guy sees me around. This guy is observing now, and he's observed this relationship that I thought was only between me and the kid. Hmm. I've fooled the parents. I've fooled the teachers. This homeless man, though, this fucking lesser than person, he manages to piece things together that none of the so-called smart people do. And that was like, great. And then what did the movie do with that? Nothing. Yeah. It's not like the guy was blackmailing him or angling for something. He was just mumbling and jumbling around and he was there to be the thing to make the escalation of the kid's moral descent happen, like to to basically make the kid do a horrible thing and for Ian McKellen to live up to the title of having an apt pupil, like you are going to follow in my footsteps and here's your test. Hmm. But they introduced this homeless character too. Did they introduce him earlier in the movie before that scene? I cannot recall. I, was he around? I do not recall him before the rubbish digging scene. Maybe he was on the bus in the beginning when we first see Ian mm. McKellen, but I do not remember him priorly established or at least focused on. There is that as a, as a major critique I have. Some things are introduced a scene beforehand or uh, in the scene, and then it's played off as like, see, now it's important. See, there's this guy in the bed next to him, and he puts things together, and then that just happens, and it's like, it just doesn't have that long-term setup and payoff factor like other elements of the movie does. Like when the David Schwimmer part plays into things later, that feels great because it's like, oh, he was in this moment and this moment, and now he's realizing this and this. But this homeless guy's like, he's introduced, and then next moment, he's there to be taken care of. It's just yeah, L- L- and even elements from like the class at the beginning, where it like focuses on like the Jew bit and shows also mm-hmm. like the other people in the camps. You get that like the pigeon comes in later on. Um, later on, we haven't talked about these characters yet, but like the guy from the Jewish 
association museum or something like that. I can't yeah. remember what it was. Uh, he comes into it and gives us like the the ramifications for Ian McKellen. Yeah, the homeless guy. It's like I the whole scene where he was in the kitchen. I was like waiting for the angle. It's like okay, well, what's next? And it was just rambling until he gets ki- like stabbed. Yeah, until the violence, and then Ian McKellen needs the kid to finish it. And it it was a means to an end, and that's all it was. And it was such a disappointment because I think the movie falls apart in the second half. I think with that in particular, it opens this valve of just coincidence, coincidence, or things needing to be there so that we can get to the ends that we have. It's a real reverse engineered course. This homeless man character, you can still have it end like that, but he was not a character. He was a function to this story, and yet you could have made him have some verve there. And when, it's just yeah. such a shame that they fucked it up. And I think they fuck up other things along the way when after you, that point. When you when you work backwards from where Ian McKellen ends up, you do eventually get to that point where, like, oh, the, the homeless man sees uh, him and then, you know, they have interactions and that leads to the stabbing and then it leads to the pupil killing him, da-da-da-da-da. Um but when you see that he's only established in that scene right there in the middle of the movie, suddenly it feels like, you know, couldn't factors from earlier in the film played a stronger element in his downfall than, like you said, this coincidental instance of him seeing him and then following him. How do you feel about how the movie handled the sensitive nature of the Holocaust, because we get characters who are obviously going to do stuff when they find out that this man is a Nazi. The grandfather is already interrogating this man. We get the police involved when it's revealed that this man's a Nazi. We get this homeless guy, but also we get the stories being told. We get the history lessons and several dream sequences about how the learning about the Holocaust is deeply affecting our character, who outside of those dream sequences and him talking about those dream sequences comes across as a psychopath. This kid is a psychopath. Like, he kills animals, he has very little emotion, he thinks he's very intellectual. But how do you think the film did with handling the the overall sensitive nature that's at the heart of it all? A lot of the dream sequences specifically feel like they're the closest the film comes to getting that European sensibility. Uh, especially you have the the shower scene where it transitions quite well, I think, from, mm. you know, the twilighty lighting of like, oh, you know, these kids are all showering the after steam the, in the air. Steam in the air. And then like within the same shot, like the lighting turns blue mm. and a bit misty. And then suddenly it's like these men with very short shaved heads are now in the the shower room withered bodies withered bodies yeah and it's it's really dark and unsettling and i could see a film doing a lot more of that if it was again with this kind of european sensibility not so hollywoody um so i i did enjoy those scenes and wished we did have a little bit more of that um in terms of yeah the stories with uh, that he's being told we talked about before how a lot of them are told like montage and snippets of them. I think it would have been better if we had more of like one full story at the very least. 
mm-hmm. um, to really show like the gravity of the stuff that this character has done. Because yeah, you have those snippets, and then you have like the factual information about what he's been through. I think like one really solid scene of like a full story would have really helped. Instead, he gave us a story about the film that we're in. It's like about an old man who meets a young boy. I, I don't know. I feel like it plays with it too much. I thought the dreams were an interesting concept, but again, I think conceptually good, but doesn't give enough because they are front-loaded in the movie and then it's gone. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's, a, good that's a trick. It was. It felt like a trick rather than a part of the f- film. It felt like a trick it was using. And I don't know why the kid was having these dreams with what we know about the kid from before and after and during the course of events. I. He seems so troubled by them, but literally nothing else troubles him in the movie. So it makes me go, okay, so why are these things troubling you? Why are you waking up in the night and having panic sweats and why why are those stories i think and by yeah. the end of the movie i cannot tell you other I, than it was the movie being like we have to at least be like aware ourselves as a film that the holocaust is not just a backdrop we can have to our movie we actually have to make a statement about it and those dreams are evocative and provocative i think what you say yeah is complementary to what i said where you get the sense that like what he's hearing is dark enough and powerful enough to make him have you know cold sweat dreams but we as the audience want to actually hear that as well but why even even if we did with what our character is why does he have dreams like this that, oh, i see what you're saying now yeah why why does point. it affect him to bring it back to a movie that we mentioned earlier the wave they didn't, they didn't need to do tricks like this because our main characters were dumb and didn't really think of the consequences and the historical ramifications that they're bringing back into the world. And it was them an- enacting the things of the past that made them realize how fucked up it was rather than just like, it's not like they sat down and went like, oh, they hear that. Even if they, like those characters, you would tell them the story, it, they wouldn't have nightmares about it and be like, oh, because they were psychopaths. They were fucked up, mm. misanthropic kids who this kid is too, who think they're smart and they think they have it all together. This kid, I don't know why, especially when you end the movie where he's a villain and he gets away with it. I don't know why, other than it's the only way to humanize the character because there's no other humanizing qualities to him other than he's a small, like other than he's a, you know, cute teenage boy. There's no other humanizing factor to him other than he hears these stories and they give him nightmares. That's it. That's all he has humanizing him. Yeah. I guess, I guess the fact that they were front loaded so much play would play somewhat into the fact that, he maybe doesn't realize he's not fully self-aware of like how he feels about everything. And then early on it, it affected him. And then later on they stopped happening. But again, yeah, that the fact that the dreams stop happening later on, isn't really a point highlighted in the film. Yeah. It's, it was just something that stood out to me because every movie, even comedies, that are having to revolve around such a harrowing event at its core has to have 
a level of a, a sensitivity in its approach. Like there's that great video that we both love by Lindsay Ellis about Mel Brooks and how he makes fun about Nazis and jokes about it. But like at the center of those, even something like Blazing Saddles with like racial inequality, there's still like a level of understanding about like the real world context of these things. Even if you're taking the piss, it's still getting at a point. And I feel that this movie a little a little bit too much just not 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 an overly amount but a little bit too much just uses the the idea to be just something to have fun with of like oh it's fun as yeah, a dramatic concept to have a nazi and a teenage boy in high school america get into these things and it's something because it's early on in the film you don't know how it ends everything by design like makes sense at the time and it's only when you think back and it's like well hang on Based on this reveal later, what's up with this? And yeah, you have to consciously think back on that. <laughs> uh, our main character has to kill a person, kill the homeless man, finish the job that Ian McKellen could not because yeah. he's too weak and frail and he has a heart attack. And he doesn't want to give him the $10. And he doesn't want to give the homeless man $10. Uh, what were your uh, feelings about how that was handled and how that was uh played with and and furthering our characters uh descent morally and psychologically that he has to kill this person he doesn't even know mm. a faceless person he doesn't know yeah i guess i don't know if it worked for me or not i guess it, it felt a lot more you were saying before the second half of the film, not quite as good as the first half. I guess I was a lot more intrigued by the first half with a lot of the interactions and, you know, the the things that they were saying to each other, um, exploring, you know, how certain things stay with you and certain things can still affect you now. Whereas with that killing scene, it, it just kind of felt like, yeah, more Hollywoody. Like, oh, here's a serious thing that you have to do and it's, yeah, a, a fight that happens down in an attic. I understood the purpose of it, but yeah, I wasn't really as interested in it. And then it, yeah, I don't know. I I thought it had a, a potential to it, and it was a thing in the story to make it clear for the character himself of where he's like what he's choosing. Yeah, he chose fear. He chose anger. He chose violence. He thought that those were an option to choose, and uh, that oh, I'm I'm being a dick to you because I can. But if I like, I'm still a good person. I could do the right thing, and it'll be fine. But he was challenging that all the time. It's like the fact that you're not doing the right thing right now means something. It means something. And now here it is in the most dramatic way possible. You are going to kill a man, someone who's done nothing to you, someone you don't even know. And he does. He kills that guy. He buries him. He does all of this stuff because the kid is afraid. I was he say, doesn't know what to do. Yeah, the, the burying and the covering it up stuff, I was more interested in that because that's mm. like a conscious decision that he made. It's still a conscious decision because he thought the guy was already dead and the guy gets up and he's like, oh, and there's, it's not like it's a quick, sudden, oh, I killed him. It was, It was a slow process it wasn't quick knocks out the light even there's there's a methodical nature to it the kid makes a choice nonetheless and 
then it becomes he's just a villain throughout the rest of the movie. Ian McKellen gets revealed. He gets captured because he's had a heart attack, so he's going to the hospital. He thinks he's going to get away with it, and our main character thinks they've gotten away with it, and the dad is sniffing around, like, oh, maybe something, because there's this amazing shot, actually, of the yellow telephone has some blood on it, but on the side that we are seeing, but not on the side that the dad can see. But he's looking at that phone, like, what's going on over there? That was an, that was really well done. I thought that was one of the most suspenseful bits of, of the movie. And Ian McKellen's in the hospital, you get the conversations back and forth where, oh, we've basically got away with it. Like, I, I sorted this out, and they, where's the key to the safety deposit box? Because Ian McKellen used some blackmail on the kid. Like, I've trapped you as you have trapped me, but yeah. it was a lie. Hmm. I lied. I liked how he said that. I lied. <laughs> just, just I sang K, Sada, Sada. Oh, that was amazing, and I was, And I was credited in the credits for performing that song. <laughs> he sung it a lot. Yeah. So. And this is where the movie loses me. Mm-hmm. I just can't suspend my disbelief. I I, I rolled my eyes. I, I, I just... <sighs> the camera pans over as the kid's leaving, and there's another old man in the bed next to oh, Ian McKellen. Right. And I knew immediately. I'm like, oh, it's going to be this, is it? I knew. It's like, oh, this old man is going to be a Jew who was in the exact same camp and he's going to recognize Ian McKellen. Is this what it's going to be? Like, I, I they, even before the guy spoke, I knew what it was going to be and then it was, but it was, in my eyes, and I don't know if you are going to be disagreeing or not, but it went so hard and cheesy with the old man realizing that Ian McKellen was a Nazi because the guy's like, oh, whatever. He gives him a look and then he goes to sleep and then snaps Zoom into his eye, opening up in fear. And he's like, oh, oh. and I, I, I just go forward. I'm like, really? Really? I don't know. I just found it so like 90s movie making cheesy the mm. way that that moment was played. Oh, oh. Part of it, I do want to give the film, you know, the benefit of the doubt for. But yeah, the like the close-ups and the the snap zooms and all that. Th- those... Him getting out of bed and showing us his forearm with the tattoo, so that we know. Yeah, like the fact that he was, you know, traumatized beyond being able to like voice his concerns to the nurse and like just hugged her. Mm. Like I liked that part. But oh, that was amazing. Performance spectacular. Yeah, I I really like that part, and that's what I really want to focus on with him. But yeah, the the realization because it was just so sudden. It it wasn't like he was like staring at him, then slowly realized it was like he looked at him, and then he like lay down, and then suddenly he sat up and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? And yeah, but, then it started to. But even yeah. the character's inclusion, it's it's it really is a case of uh, the movie is about to wrap up, and we need to make sure that the, the Nazi doesn't get away with and, it. And it also did a repeat thing of like earlier on in the movie, you had the the dinner scene with the family, and like the older the grandfather the grandfather character who's in a wheelchair, which is important. Yeah, like oh the 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 elderly person asked the elderly German person like, what were you doing during the war? And now you've got another elderly character who references the war and it's like okay i can see the language of this film the elderly talk about the war i mean it's it's completely fair it is fair but i just the fact that it felt like a re like not a repeat but like a playoff of something established earlier it's like ooh, yeah i see the movie 
yes, I saw the movie. That's a, that's a that's exactly it. I saw the movie's hands. I mm. saw the strings being pulled, and I was just. He really just let all of the air out of the balloon for me. I was like, oh. and then it just was a cascade of just movie shit after that movie, movie, movie shit. It's like, oh, and then the cops are there and they go to the house and they find the body and it's on the news and the parents are watching the news. And it's just like, I know that this was a, most likely an inevitable outcome of the story from when it started, but just the quick like this it was so quick it was like 10 minutes of the movie basically is just fast forwarding through all of this stuff that could have been a good portion of a movie in itself and i was just i was shaking my head going oh god really we're going to do this and i even liked some of the stuff like i, I was saying before we recorded actually mm. i really loved the Ian McKellen's waking up and we get a POV and it's all blurry because he hasn't got his glasses on, but we can tell even through the blur that it's clearly the police. It's like, oh, they're, they're official people, yeah. And then he puts on his glasses and then we get a POV again and it's in sharp focus. And there's the actor who plays Miles Dyson from Terminator 2, obviously an FBI agent. He's got the suit, he's got the American flag pin, he just that guy also plays cops a lot. Mm. But then we got another gentleman who's like right there. And before the film showed it, they did an insert shot. I spotted it right away. It's like, ah, oh, yes, this guy's not wearing, his pin is something different. What was it, Bartek? It was the Star of David. And I, I was like, oh, it's going to be about the Israeli government getting sure. in on this. And I was I was just <laughs> smacking my hands going, going yes, 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 this is, this is what I want. And there was also a reporter there. He took a photo at the end. Yeah, that was gr- fucking funny as shit because it was so impersonal. Mm. Just like how he, our Nazi was about the atrocities. Impersonal. Just, it was what it was. And in McKellen, this is the worst moment of this character's life. Like, he, his biggest fear. He managed to escape getting caught before when he did foolish things by going back. And he thought, oh, I cleaned up all the messes. It's fine. No. And here they are with a camera right in my face as I'm in hospital in a bed looking crippled, like fucking, like, like a, like just a helpless old man, boom, flash in my face and they walk off and I'm fucked. Like he he knows he can't win this. Mm. Really, really, uh, uh, really well done. And the, the police characters, I thought though, I'll call them the police characters for the time being. The authorities. The authorities. Their conversation in the car after they've interviewed the kid and his family and how one of them doesn't have any suspicions and the one who's the Jewish man clearly does, but by the end of the conversation, he also just blows it off like, yeah, whatever. And they have this whole this whole little sweetness between them and a little bit of humor about what were you interested in when you were a young man? What did you do for fun? What did you do for fun? And what did they do for fun, Bartek? Yeah, and you, you, ta- you, we had this conversation before the recording, and it was stuff that I didn't pick up on, despite the fact that I liked the scene. But the uh, the FBI officer, he went to the movies, and we did have a scene earlier on where our main character was going to a movie. He was uh, enjoying himself, yeah. Enjoying himself at the movies, and the uh, Jewish man, the Israeli man, uh, he said that he liked to chase girls mm-hmm. when he was young. And our main character does not like to do that. That's 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 the thing. He doesn't. He has the opportunity to. He's going to the movies with a young girl, but he's not chasing young girls. He's not that. And then 
the uh, older Jewish man is like, it's funny though, isn't it? Because now I chase old men. When I was younger, I chased young women. Now I chase old men. But that's his life. And it brings him satisfaction to put these monsters to justice. And ah, mm. uh, that was, I wish that they were in the movie more because those actors are great in the roles. Like they bring a, a they bring so much gravitas to it. Mm. They just, just either if you know those actors or not, they just have a, they have those faces that have just experienced a life before their scenes have taken yeah, place. There is a depth to them that is begging to be explored. And then we, uh, you know, we progress. The the Ian McKellen dies. He kills himself like a coward. He breaks the thing. He injects. Like he puts the thing in his mouth. And he squirts it in, and he's ODing and he's seizuring. And I love this, which is as he's dying, they're flipping him on his side. He makes sure to stare. He's looking right at the Jewish guy, being like, "I beat you." Like he has this look of defiance. This look of like, "I by doing this." I'm not giving you, you filthy Jew, what you want. Like, there's just, there's, you could see in his dying moments, this is his little fuck you. And the guy's just looking at him like, huh. He's not sad. He's not like, oh, dang, we missed it. He's giving him this just vacant look back, just like, okay. He's not giving Ian McKellen the satisfaction. Mm. Really, really want to commend, just give praise to when the apt pupil does visual storytelling, that's when it's at its best. Like for a movie that's very dialogue heavy, I think it is the most effective when it was just the quiet moments, the visuals relying on the actors' expressions or or those montages or whatever they were doing. Those were the moments that linger with me more than the many witty lines of dialogue that were had mm. during it. And uh. We'll have to wrap it up and talk about how the film lets our main character get away with it. Yeah, because uh, he does seem to get away with everything. Like, oh, he's been interviewed by the FBI and the Israeli figure. Um, and while the Israeli figure still had some suspicions, like you said, he kind of blows it off. And, you know, it becomes this tale of like, oh, the. The old man that you were helping out, you were reading him letters and reading him books and stuff like that. He uh, he was a Nazi and you were in vicinity of him. That's so awful for you. And, you know, he's being treated with sympathy and he is playing off of that sympathy to, yeah, move on. He has to convince people that he's innocent, even though he's gotten away with it. Like he says to his dad, like, I genuinely didn't know. And the dad's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I and never he, questioned it. Yeah. And at his graduation, you know, he they run into David Schwimmer, the gu guidance counselor. And we've established uh, in his first scene where he was interviewing his grandfather, in quotes, it was the old Nazi man. Um, they made up a story about how the parents were abusive, abusive and negligent distant, yeah. and things like that. And basically that's the justification for why his grades were slipping. It wasn't because he was busy listening to stories and being traumatized by them. Um, and so Dave Schwimmer has a conversation with them and he brings up the grandfather. It's like, oh, Victor, he mentions the name Victor. Yeah. I really wanted to, you know, meet, meet the grandfather guy. Um, and then the dad says something like, oh, well, you know, they live 
like multiple states away. So yeah, and it's hard with the wheelchair. And it's hard with the wheelchair. It's like which he's been in for years now. Like that's the thing he mentions. He's been in the wheelchair for a few years, and that's what David Schwimmer's like. "Hmm." And there's just all these elements of like, well, well, what's going on? But the main character manages to brush him away. Like, oh, you gotta, you gotta go do your speech now. And he's like, yeah, okay, okay. But there's this like element of doubt. Like this one character here has seen the facade. He's aware. There's and an element of facade. Yeah. There was an extra step too, which is mm. he, David Swimmer doesn't just go, oh, yeah, yeah, and goes to the speech. He walks up a, f- a few of the steps, turns, and listens to the kid's response after that. He hears him be like, oh, I'm sick. I've got to, I'm I'll leave after. Well. And you see David Swimmer really nail this of moments before he's like confused, but then that there was him being like, oh, this kid's fucking playing me. Mm. Okay, and so when you get the rest of the school speech scene, you see him putting it all together even more because he saw this kid respond in that way after that moment, and he's like, "Oh, this kid's a fucking weasel." Yeah, and even in the final scene where he confronts him at the front steps, like the, our main character is being a lot more aggressive and evasive, and it's, he's got the basketball again. Mm. You know. I want to say stomping, dribbling it with mm-hmm. the stompy sound. Pounding it. And it's just clear, like, okay, this guy's covering things up. <laughs> David Schwimmer goes to his house. He wants to talk to the parents. He's very cold. He's very much like, I'm not talking to you. I want to talk to them. They're not here. Fine. And then he's going to go leave. But he confronts him. He's like, what's this about? You know, he shows the paper because he had not seen the news before, but now he's seen the news. He now knows about the Nazi stuff. He knows. Mm. He's put it all together. And then the kid blackmails him. He uses the trick he learned from the Nazi. Oh, well, I'll take you down with me. I'll call out your name. Even if my accusations aren't true, the claim will remain. He's going to blame him. He's going to say that he's a pedophile. That's what he's going to pin on him. And even if it's not true, that on you will ruin your life. That's why I also thought about the hunt. As well, because that's yeah. the premise of that movie, and that's the whole premise of it. Watch the hunt, people. It's- the hunt is a a man literally being falsely accused of being a pedophile, and the fallout of that accusation. And like with David Schwimmer's character in this movie, he's the nicest, most honourable, good guy ever, and his life gets fucking ruined. But David Schwimmer is like, oh, and then clearly he lets the kid get away with it because he's not going to. He's going to be. You know, complicit, and he he lets it go. But he has all these morals. Like, you think I'd let you get away with this? He's like, yeah, I do. You fuck. Yeah, I do. Because of these reasons, fuck you. Because he brings up like, you gave me your home phone number, you dummy. I'm gonna use that against you. All of your all of your ways to of supporting me, I'm gonna use to destroy you. So these will all you be back over, the yeah. fuck off and let me live my life. I'm gonna use these as false evidence of grooming. <laughs> and. I like this again, uh, conceptually. I think the acting is uh, like it's so gripping. Uh, both of them are facing off against each other. The the they change so much during the scene, and uh, I I really love all of that. But what was once the relatable character in the movie became a movie character to me. David Schwimmer, him going there is so unbelievable to me. He even has a line. It's like, it was a mistake coming here. I should have called. Yeah. Or even go to the fucking police. What did you think about that? Like, just first, 
What did you think about the ending of like our character using this stuff against him and being able to basically win? It was a good scene, but like you say, the the premise of the scene, the pretext of him going there in the first place, wasn't a wise move. You're a teacher. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, the moment he gave him his home phone number, like my eyebrow raised and I was like, is it different for guidance counsellors? I don't think so. <laughs> well, it's funny too, because also you got to remember this is the 90s. Mm. There's no, I'm emailing my teacher necessarily. Yeah. I, f- speaking for myself as someone who grew up in country town, Australia, I just knew my teacher's phone numbers because you could look it up in the phone book and we can just talk to the- I think so. I think some schools do have like a directory thing where you, mm-hmm. where like the families can contact them, but not like the kid directly. Of course. Oh yeah. 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 But there were times where I had to, but like, that's the thing. There are the rules- but then there are things, how things actually play out. And see, David David Schwimmer's character was trying to, you know, be a good, good, nice guy. And he was going against what, like, the proper rules are. And then mm. sometimes that is fine and sometimes it isn't. Like, it clearly is, what yeah. I'm saying, like... It's a I, strategy for, you know, getting to... You know, be personal. Have a, have a better relationship with someone. Like, a positive relationship. Yes. I mean. And, yeah, he fucked himself in the long run, but... Mm. Uh, that's that. Like it's a. I'm not against the the kid winning in the end because apparently in the book it's very different. Like the kid murders this teacher because he can't persuade yeah. him, which makes sense. And then he becomes like a an School active shooter, shooter or an active shooter. He goes on a highway top and starts shooting at cars, and then he gets killed by the police. That makes sense to me. Hmm. That makes so much more sense to me than what we get in this movie's ending. This movie's ending isn't false, but it's just, again, it's too movie-like. It's, I was going to say it's like a different type of ending. It's more like a stopping. It's more a villain wins the day and that's it. And you're supposed to feel like, oh, it's really clever. The villain wins the day, but also we're not going to show what happens next. He lives his life. Yeah. He just gets away with it. Uh, the rich get away with it yet again. And maybe he's living a version of what Ian McKellen's life was. Yeah, you got away with it, but there's always going to be the potential for it to come back. Mm. It's always going to be the potential yeah, for multi- your life to yeah. get undone. Multiple things could happen afterwards. I just couldn't believe this character would go to the house and do that. Like David Schwimmer, I just couldn't believe it. And I know the character isn't inferred this way, but David Schwimmer is Jewish. Like, he's very Jewish. And I just couldn't... I I couldn't believe that this clearly Jewish man who finds this out about one of his students would go to the house and do this. And again, like, the film doesn't mention any of that about his character. I'm just bringing that in from just, you know, being aware of life and just, you know, it's David Schwimmer. Mm. I just... I couldn't believe it also just like as a person, like if you found out one of your students did that, would you just rock up to their house and just be like, hey, buddy, here's what I know. No, you go to the fucking police. I just, it's it's a movie's ending. That's all it is. I just, I, I can't forgive the movie for it. Like I love so much of it and I I'm annoyed by things of it, like as mentioned, but that this ending just leaves such a bitter taste in my mouth. It just rings false to me. Mm. 
and it makes the exercise of the movie false in the long run. I don't know. It's just it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this is how you wrap it up. It makes me look back on the whole entire structure of this and think, how genuine is it? And I, it just is too rickety for me. It's too rickety for me. I just don't. I don't just. I don't feel secure with this movie in the way that I think it should be. I don't know. Uh, how do you feel about it overall? I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it, it's definitely one that once you break it down, there are certain key questions that you have, and it's also a little. And you said that we talked about this before, yes. but it's also very ironic that uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> uncomfortable, ironic, uh, one might even say weirdly apt that- Unfortunate. Unfortunate that the director uh, was guilty of a lot of the crimes that David Truman was being accused of in that last scene. Yes, we'll talk about it. Brian Singer is uh, a bad man. Uh, he has had um, some weird uh, sexual proclivities, very bad ones with young boys. And this movie- Knowing that it's hard to separate art from the artist, it's hard to remove that because this movie is about that. It's about the grooming of a child to an older man. There are scenes of young boys naked, their butts, and our lead character was played by a 14-year-old and we see them naked. We don't see the penis, but we see the pube, uh, pubes and... Yeah. What I heard and, was... And it's just... Yeah, there's just so many moments where you can't help but flinch a little because of what this director did in real life and yeah, that I... this was the film that they chose to do. Yeah, I'm only vaguely aware of, like, the full scope of what he's done, like, just from mm. hearsay about, like, oh, you know, the fallout of the Bohemian Rhapsody director changing, things like that. Um I, when I picked this film, I did not know that there were directly things related to the production. Like, apparently, some extras from that shower scene mm -hmm. um, weren't comfortable with doing the scene at all, and some of them felt forced into doing it. Yep. That's the main thing that I've heard. Yeah, it's even if you don't know the the actual production stuff of, like, that, it's, it's, it's the... It's mm. what's in the movie, too, yeah. that you know. It's like how everyone makes jokes about how like Tarantino has a foot fetish, and in every movie he's going to have feet, even though I think he himself hasn't really confirmed if he has a foot fetish. And if he does, who cares? But it's like, this is a movie that's, let's just say it, it's made by a pedophile, mm. uh, and the movie has pedophilic things in it that are maybe not you maybe wouldn't say are there if it was made by anyone else. Like, oh, if you saw, like, a shower scene in this setting, in this in another movie, you wouldn't necessarily go, oh, it's a pedophilic scene. It's just, but in this movie, it is, because it's made by that guy, and it does make revisiting it just a real awkward, uncomfortable thing. And it sucks. It just it just fucking sucks because you know there's there's great direction here. There's great acting. There's some interesting ideas. But boy, oh boy, it almost feels like you're watching evidence <laughs> in a court trial mm. in a weird way. Like that's how I felt. Like yeah, yeah. We've we've often discussed uh, you know the, the death of death of the author type thing on the pod and like how much can you and can you not and. 
honestly, it can be a case by case basis, and uh, like how much of the art is echoing the the thing of the real person behind, or like one of the pe- of the people involved in it. And this is one where it's like, yeah, I just kind of grit my teeth and go, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it didn't it didn't bother me while I was watching it, but yeah, definitely reading about it afterwards and thinking on it, it's like, oh man, this really sours a film that I actually like. Yep. Yep. So, uh, I I don't really recommend apt pupil not because of that stuff but like i think it is a messy film i think it it it's not as bad as this but i'm in the same place as i am with the body in which i respect the idea of it i like a lot of the things there's some great acting some great characters but it just fumbles the ball in certain ways that could have easily been avoided and it's just the sensibility of the movie is what i just do not do not agree with i think it's the overall uh, sensibility of it, the, the the machinations of it, just the the the, yeah, the the mentality of it all. So it's not a, a wholehearted recommendation. If you if you know if you like what you've heard thus far, I do think like it is a, a compelling film at times. It's definitely one that you you know you wouldn't be uh, you know uh, lacking if you're if you're wanting to watch something like of some heft. This does have it and. Those performances are just really good. Yeah, Ryan's not going to grit his teeth and stomp on the ground if you choose to watch it, despite his non-recommendation. Yeah, what do you what do you do? Do you uh, are you recommending us? I, I do lean on recommending it. Like I said, there is enough about this film objectively well done that it's worth watching. Now it can definitely be better. We've talked about many different aspects of the film that, yeah, fall apart or just felt held back, but. I think yeah, it, it is. It is still worth the watch. Just uh, yeah, I guess if you know what you're getting into and you're fine with that, go ahead. We get a kick out of, as do many people, who have to break down movies or watch them of like tearing through the movies that are like failures. Like the Snowman is a favorite of ours, but like this is a movie where I really love talking about these type of. And I'm not saying this is a failure. No, no, no. What, what I'm going to say is I like movies that falter. Hmm. Because it makes you appreciate the things that do work as well as acknowledge and recognize the things that don't work. And I think discussions of films like this are ones that give me a greater appre- a greater appreciation of movies in general and, mm-hmm. and discussing movies than just like when we shit talk M. Night Shyamalan's glass. It's like, yeah, it's great to it's it's a it's it's cathartic to do that, but I don't feel it's as as substantive as say this or when we did the body or or even the mission, for instance, where you and I had uh, different views on that movie and like that discussion kind of brought out more more stuff for us uh, when it comes to that film. Uh, but this one, yeah, I think it's one where it's like it falters, but in in interesting ways, like in ways that I think are uh, conducive to conversation. Even similarly, uh, in the past, we've talked a lot, even on Unappreciated Masterpieces, about how we do enjoy uh, films that are middling but enjoyable, how we we are fine with films that are comfortable in their imperfection. Yeah, because... There's a thing too, where it's like when you watch a masterpiece, it's like, what do you say? It's like, yeah, yeah, the shining, the shining's great. Mm. What do you say? Yeah, you get me being in awe of Amadeus for a little while. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that is our discussion on apt pupil. It is my turn. Yes. What to- film? What film are you picking that has Nazis in it, Ryan? 
We are doing Shane. Shane. Shane, which is a iconic film. Uh, and I thought it was about time that we did an a, a proper old school western. We've done spaghetti westerns. We've we've kind of done more like you know moderny kind of like broody. But uh, we've done foreign westerns. But it's and we've done comedy, like I said, spoofs. But we haven't really sat back and done just a proper old school golden age Hollywood movie like classic. But uh, Shane is uh, Shane's an interesting little film, nonetheless. So we'll what be, year is it from? Uh, oh, I'd have to double check. I think it's like from the fifties. Okay. Uh, but we will be talking about that next time. So everyone, please make sure to check out Shane. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter under Spit and Polish Presents. You can email us at Spit and Polished at Gmail dot com. Uh, so if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, things you just want to tell us, you can hit us up on social media or that email. And as stated at the top, if you have films that are of interest and you want us to talk about a, a movie or give it a watch and go through it, do it. Just just recommend. We add them to the list. We greatly appreciate the recommendations we get. And we always try to get around to them. And the list is growing short. So we are always in need of more. If if your recommendation is really good and you give it within a few days of this episode coming out, who knows? Maybe it'll be the next episode. <laughs> it, yes. Bartek will get a recommendation for a movie that is about Nazis. And he'll be like, yes, yes, we're doing this one. because yeah, We couldn't do three in a row, right? Well, we'll have to watch uh, Shane and learn. Perhaps there's something more going yeah. on. I don't think so, but no. We did three sci-fi films in a row now. We did. Now we're going to do three two... cowboy movies in a row. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then two something and then three again and then and then Whatever, Whatever's... It. There'll be an element in the third cowboy film that's like, ah, oh, we're chaining off of this. Unless something happens, I just bring this up now. Unless something happens, I looked at the calendar and I think we have a repeat of me not being able to do a Christmas movie on the pod again. I, I also it's you, looked... and I'm like, damn it, it's never me because when it's my recommendations the... after Christmas. I looked at yeah the calendar two a few weeks ago. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's me before Christmas, and then you on like Boxing Day. Yeah. I'm like, does that count as a me or a Ryan? I think it's uh, you Christmas. I am so heartbroken because I cannot recall if I've done a. Christmas recommendation. You did jingle for, all the way for Pictures Power. Yeah, that's oh, the. Wow. I, I think that's, that's the so only long one you've ago. done. I yeah. think it was. I think it was like, I've the done. First? I've done like three Christmas films. <laughs> you and listening people have done one each. And I, can't, I have one that I've held on to for so long, and it's not a Christmas movie per se, but it's still Christmas. So yeah, we'll, like, we'll find I, out in the future if we'll ever get to that David Bowie movie. And, and God damn it, I think it might even be like a non-Hollywood one too. So you have to find a foreign Christmas movie. Good luck. Hey Ryan, do you want to take two weeks off? <laughs> no. Before then? <laughs> Soz. You don't uh, want to do your David Bowie film? <laughs> no, we'll have to play it by ear. But until next time, listening people, remember to be kind to each other or else a very blue-eyed Ian McKellen will look at you. Of course the Nazi's blue-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>